0: Welcome to New Books in Journalism, part of the New Books Network. I'm Jenna Spinelli, an instructor in the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications at Penn State. And I am delighted to be joined today by Paula Ellis, uh, who is one of the authors, along with Paul S. Vokes and Lori Bergen of News for Us, Citizen-Centered Journalism, which was published in 2022 by Cognella Academic Publishing. Paula, welcome to the New Books Network. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jenna. Thank you. So, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in this this idea and the, the practice of citizen-centered journalism?
1: Great. So, it's a long it's a long career, uh, more than thirty some years in journalism itself and always focused at the intersection of journalism and democracy. I mean, doing lots of kinds of things, but really my abiding interest is in the essential role that journalism can and should play in a democracy. And I did that through many kind of roles, which I won't drag you through. But the culminating in being an officer of Knight Ritter. Newspapers, not many people probably don't remember it anymore, where I had worked for 26 years. And so I was on the management team that sold the company on June 23rd, uh, 2006. Who could forget? And up until that point, and certainly much more aggressively after that point, I have been trying to figure out what's the way forward for journalism that specifically exist in service to democracy. Mm -hmm. And I was able to explore that some during my seven years as an officer of the Knight Foundation. But then I left there and I serve as a senior associate at the Kettering Foundation, which is much more deliberately focused on democracy. And so I get to sort of skulk around and learn from them.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, I do want to go back in time a little bit. You talk in the book about the 1988 presidential campaign and how that was sort of a light bulb moment, perhaps for you. Tell us about what you what you saw then and sort of the the notion that, huh, I wonder if things really have to be this way. Wow, that's the way back machine,
1: isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, I supervise Knight Ritter's coverage of the 88 presidential campaign. And it was all pretty formulaic coverage. And I would have like our White House correspondents and others assert to me, we're essential to democracy. And I would say, can you prove this essentiality to me? What I was able to see in the the 88 campaign, which I think has just accelerated over time, was that we were still relatively trapped in rhetoric and Experts and polls and that. While at the time, which doesn't exist anymore, we at least at Knight Ritter had 32 newspapers. So we were able to get soundings from all around the country to include the geography now referred to as flyover territory. But even so, look, there was a significant gap between what the campaigns were running on and what was in the hearts and minds of citizens. And then the second thing that that really was influential to me was this was before the internet, and you could already see, let's call it the erosion of the gatekeeping function of media. So if um, a political operative wanted to attack a candidate with unfair and not true claims, they could now kind of get it into the system. It, yeah, it took longer. Now, you know, it's just like instantaneous. But so that was, that was very concerning. concerning.
0: Right. And so what, what did you take from that? Or, you know, how did you start to think about getting from that place to something that had more of a, a citizen centered focus to it?
1: Yeah. So I was then part of something that was, called either affectionately or derisively, the public journalism movement, sometimes also the civic journalism movement. And I wrote a chapter about it in the textbook. And, And it was such a minor tilt shift to just try to say, let's find out what citizens people are thinking about. Maybe we can conduct forums to hear from them. Maybe they can give us questions and help to frame what the issues are that we should explore. It was, to me, a very sort of minor thing, but um, when I say derided, a lot of very traditional journalists, very well-respected friends of mine just thought this was a bridge way too far and deeply violated standards of objectivity.
0: Yeah. And, you know, some of that skepticism is is still around. I think a lot of the people who were working in newsrooms in the 90s are now teaching at journalism schools and maybe carry some of those views with them. And so I I wonder if if you could talk about how, you know, given that you're also working in this area now and you were kind of around back then, how does the, the, the energy or the kind of feeling around citizen centered journalism? You know, how does it feel now compared to how it felt back then?
1: Oh, I think that we see so much energy around, first of all, people just um, creating news outlets. It's, you know, it's like an explosion of creativity grassroots, close to the ground. So we, we just see a lot of energy and creation there. And I also think one of the things that I spent my time worrying about was when people say, mm, why are you still working? Is I did feel that we contributed to helplessness and hopelessness and that we helped to socialize people into sort of a helpless thinking and, and you can see a strong movement against that. I mean, you see that showing up in society in all sorts of kinds of ways. But I think you also see in media outlets now, hmm, a lot of, we need to look at this differently. You see a lot of challenging of the hegemony or the sort of mainstream view of what, who gets to frame this reality <laughs> whose voices are we listening to? And so you see movement journalism coming about, you see all kinds of very fascinating perspectives coming in. And in the mix of it, I think the there are more people pushing on what was this thing or what is this thing called objectivity and what is it serving and what is it disserving? And so I think, and then I'll, Stop here, but I think the public journalism movement, whatever, helped to foster a lot of new thinking. In the textbook, I out, we outline genres of news that come come out from, and so I think it also helps. A reason for that chapter to be significant, mm-hmm. I think, is it helps to sort of show that change takes time. It's not just a platelet shift and boom everything is different, but that people are pushing o- on it over a lot of time.
0: Mm-hmm. And to go back to something you said just a minute ago, can you talk a little bit more about when you say that 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 journalism helped, you know, move, put forward or help kind of acclimate people to the sense of helplessness and hopelessness? Can you just say more more about that, how that happened? That's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? I think
1: and I don't want to get into politics or political points of view, but over time, so we're very good at explaining the problems, diagnosing problems and investigative reporting, which I did a lot of, put a lot of people in jail is, I totally believe in accountability journalism, got to have it, but there has to be more. So when all you do is serve up to people, problems, 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 without them seeing any way in how it can be fixed, that's a problem. And then I would say that over time, what I came to understand is that the institutions that we have are ill-equipped to, on their own, solve what a lot of people refer to as wicked problems so an institution can't respond to a complex persistent challenge. It takes a lot of people and my last thing on this would be that what you don't see generally in news stories is the active role of citizens. you might see them as a sort of a cliched volunteer at the end of a network newscast or but you don't or a crank who shows up at a school board meeting, but you don't see them persistently as actually the sovereign power, which is what they're supposed to be in a democracy. Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, on that point about democracy, you write a lot about democracy in this book there. You know, you talk about Tocqueville, you talk about Walter Lippmann and John Dewey. You talk about more more present day scholars. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you came to form this conception of of democracy, and and how you see it fitting in with your training as a journalist.
1: Right. So I um I think I had been raised. In fact, I have an undergraduate poli sci degree. Mm-hmm. And I had been raised on the idea that politics is competition over scarce resources, a very competitive model politics, which imbues so much, right? And journalism maybe sort of came out of that. But it didn't, again, it didn't allow for, again, the people. (laughs) You know, and I originally, we had that the textbook headlined titled as Taking Back the News, which was a bridge too far for some people. But if, if in a democracy, people hold the sovereign power, what what? And so, you know, a hypothesis is that over time, institutions and others have crowded out the citizen space. And what de Tocqueville, you know, wrote about very beautifully is that what distinguished America and democracy is the associational life. And that through these associations, uh, essentially networks of relationships, Americans can get, get things done. And so I landed on, I did land, it took me years to land on the term relational. And it was really came more out of my understanding of complexity theory and chaos theory and my deep interest in networks. And that in a network, the value is in the relationship to other elements. And I could say more about it. So the relational mm, mm, is useful on multiple layers.
0: Right, 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 right. And you, I mean, you, you do outline sort of taking some of this from the theoretical realm down to the practical realm, you outline five Principles or, or five, yeah, five principles of, of relational journalism. I'd like to just, just walk through those and have you kind of expand on them if you don't mind. You've already touched on, on some of them, but I think this will be important for journalism instructors and others who might want to to introduce some of these concepts into their work. So the first is that journalism is in itself an essential democratic practice now you, you've already talked about this a little bit but you know say more about the maybe what democracy would look like without journalism or just the, the kind of connection between well, those, i think those the, two things and the reason we made that our
1: first one is that in the bill of rights in the first amendment is about speech and the protections the press have derived from those actual protections that all citizens have and so that it, it it's all of our business and that journalism, when we say it's an essential um, uh, democratic practice, we we're saying that and everyone can practice it. It's not, there's a role for professionals, but there are roles for others. And yeah.
0: All right, and this this leads to the next point, which is you know citizens and and collaborators and those types of relationships. I know you talk about the work of Albert Zazor here and you know, democratic professionalism and and how how to expand those ideas of of what professional norms look like. So what is you know what do you see that taking shape in in, in journalism?
1: So I think the the professional norms are all under revision. I think people are trying to to sort them out. So there are certain things that journalists can and must do, certain practices, verification, and I won't go into the certain skills that journalists have, but they are not the sole deciders of truth. <laughs> and so they can they can facilitate others. But also when we're talking about facilitation, I'm tying that Uh, back to a a particular democratic practice Mm -hmm. which is that and this can be kind of arcane but that for citizens must figure out together how to solve problems and that is the practice of judgment weighing and so the fancy term for that is deliberation Mm -hmm. which we do in our everyday life and so how might journalism, facilitate people in um, navigating and coming to judgment, managing these tensions. And I'll just say, I just this listen morning listened to a podcast that I have a best friend, not doing COVID research, but she specializes in all that, vaccines and okay. So she sent me the New York Times podcast from yesterday about COVID. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just a beautiful piece in walking through the tensions that people and society are trying to navigate between isolating and coming back together. So you you had the full picture. It helped you reflect on what might I think. It helped you come to judgment. So that would be an example.
0: It, right. And yeah, and there was yeah. actual kind of citizen perspectives. It wasn't just you new know, reporters out there saying, you know, taking the sort of all-knowing stance. There were actual actual voices or actual data in there from I believe it was a was a poll in this case or focus groups or or something along those
1: lines. It was a poll that he, he was using. So I think the other thing just to about this idea and where where you might think this really mm, is revolutionary to a degree is that, you know, the mindset shift is that, number one, we can care about communities and the people who live in them. And in some corners, that's a violation of objectivity. But we sort of assert, no, we need to come from a place of caring. And we assert that, you know, the the disciplines of journalism pretty much came out of the Enlightenment era. You shove information into the system People are rational beings. They will make the right decisions, and I won't go into all the reasons that we know that that's not true, okay? So what we're saying is mm, there's a role further down the pipe. There's more to do than just providing information, and that, that really, you know, that, that can be affronting to some
0: right well yeah and let's let's talk more about this idea of of objectivity I think that is at least to my thinking sort of the the biggest professional norm or the the biggest kind of roadblock in in the way of this citizen centered journalism just just taking off even more than it already has how do you is there a role for objectivity in in your conception and also you know there's we're also seeing a a time where where trust in the media is continues to be very low, and and some people tie that to or say that well we need to be more objective because people don't trust us because they think we're biased.
1: Yeah, so I honestly have thought this objectivity debate was dead long ago, but I guess not. And I've been a pointer trustee, a trustee at the Pointer Institute, and on faculty for more than thirty years, and always found the ethics stool that Bob Steele and others had invented, you know. Be act independently. Oh, tell the truth. Act independently. Minimize harm. Is that the three of them? Okay. And and weighing between those, that is a way more constructive idea to me than than objectivity. Mm-hmm. Because well, you know all the de- debates about objectivity. Mm-hmm. I I kind of think it's a pinata. You know, I just think it's kind of thing that people bring up mm-hmm. when they want to have a fight over something that's actually not what the conversation is about. If you look at, so journalism is a practice, and I think this is really important, also about the pivot, just to always be remembering. Mm -hmm. Journalism is a practice, which means it's a set of processes. It's not a product, it's a set of processes. And those processes are meant to ensure, you know, completeness, the full story. I don't understand objectivity, I, I mean, I don't understand, I mean, these arguments over false equivalencies, of course it's stupid. So. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and and so you're know, picking up on this this idea of, you know, product, you know versus versus practice and 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 community. you you do touch on financial sustainability. I think that's another sort of thing people are are still grappling at. I mean, so there but there is even though journalism is not primarily a product, there does need to be some aspect of it as a product in order to be something that people support and pay for, right? Right, no question. So
1: (laughs) I would say you had asked sort of a little bit about my personal journey and Mm -hmm. my thinking, which is very cluttered, but one of the big pivot points for me, so, you know, I became a publisher and, you know, okay, to the dark side and all those kind of stuff that people say. But but I studied at the University of Michigan and I studied uh, in their business school, needs-based segmentation, I won't, okay. So, but what that really helped me to really understand decades ago is that journalism is a service. And if it's conceived of as a service in the same way that medicine is or other things, you would look at it very differently than if you looked at it as a product. And so that sort of pivot for me was a huge way that I started thinking about these relational mm-hmm. relational elements. But it does, <clears throat> now we're saying it has to make money, but we're not sure of that, right? Because there are all sets of models that are going to have it funded by philanthropy mm-hmm. and that there is, you know, uh, government paying for things is gaining traction We just saw the public media station in Chicago take ownership of the Sun-Times, and I know around the country the public media companies are moving in to the previous commercial space. So, yeah, I mean, to me, I don't, I mean, I'm not, like, I guess I'm capitalist in this sense. I do think that people need to send a buying signal or a signal that the product is useful for them. So for decades in our news surveys, readership was declining. So people were telling us, we don't like your stuff. Now we were so profitable that we didn't have to respond to that. And I so, even though I worked at a philanthropy that funds a lot of journalism, I'm deeply suspicious of what could happen if journalism goes the way of say, the arts. Symphonies, museums, I mean, the disconnect with people potentially frightens me, frightens me quite a lot. So, uh, what we did, what we did in the, so anyway, in the sustainability chapter, we do go through various ways that news might be paid for, and it's fun to see everybody experimenting with them. I think the membership model is gaining a lot of traction. I think community support has potential because at least there's, communities. But one thing we we did do was kind of use a matrix stolen from Jim Collins to show that you need a diversified set of revenue sources to be wholly dependent on anyone won't work. And I also, I will wind down here, but I worried when I left the Knight Foundation, i have been a member of JAWS for a long, 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 and they invited me to come sort of unplugged and say whatever it is I find I really wanted to say now that I was in full crone. And what was frightening to me there was how many women were now in freelancing positions, not having insurance, you know, all those kinds of kinds of things. And I, I still do think that people who produce news and working with citizens should be paid. And I think that's a huge challenge ahead.
0: Right. Yeah. How to sustain that full time given yeah, there's no shortage of, of people to produce content, but making sure it's done in a way that people can make a living wage and not have to have other jobs or not have to sort of take away from the, the journalism work. that. Well, doing. and so, Jenna, you
1: just said something that has also kind of triggered me is that <clears throat> there is no shortage of supply, as mm-hmm. you just said. Anybody can make what someone wants to call news. What we have is a serious demand-side problem. Now, this is back to your question about democracy, and this is where my head was spinning for 40 years, is, well, what would cause people to find our stuff useful? So I'm always trying to,
0: you know, if there's no public... What are we doing it for? Right. And I, I think that some of the examples you you point to in the book of, of news organizations out there doing this work. Now they're they're trying to figure that out. And they the answer seems to be you know, whether it's your voice Ohio, which I know is is a Kettering Foundation project, any of the, the exciting things happening in, in Chicago like City Bureau uh, or you know outlier media in Detroit, it seems like the answer increasingly is you know picking a specific community and really becoming hyper focused on what information, that community needs and, you know, asking people and making it very easy for people to tell you what information they need in their day-to-day lives.
1: Yeah. And we won't go into all the examples and I don't want to prejudice one against the other because they're all wonderful, but City Bureau is quite fascinating. It's very deliberate about as an engagement strategy, about speaking to number one, I didn't, yeah, it as a way that People can enter in, start paying attention, and over time grow either as journalists or as active citizens running for mayor or whatever. So it's a very, in a sense, (laughs) the journalism part is an instrumentality. This is where doing journalism helps me to become and think about citizenship, yeah, in a way. And I think the, the book was so choosing... And now mm, there's just an explosion of entities. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the important thing here is to just unleash the creative and see what, what will be figured out. And one one more thing to this point, I would, you know, it might be a false polarity, but I do worry quite a lot about national news, particularly as national everything is seeping into local everything. There used to be like a big difference in perceptions. Okay. But I do continue to come back to the whole thing will be rebuilt from the ground up, community by community by community. And if you you think about how innovation happens and how change happens, that's, that's how it happens. And so at some point, they'll just be recombinant DNA. And maybe one thing will be the
0: thing. So what what do you hope journalism instructors take from this book? If we're talking about, you know, expanding the definition of, of who is a journalist and thinking about you know making changes to the way journalism is taught. How do you see journalism instructors using this this book? You know, where do you see it fitting into the, the J school curriculum?
1: Great. So. You know, we aimed it at fourth-year and master students. However, I've heard from some people that they're using it with first-year students, and I think that that's wonderful. I think it's probably its primary advantage is it puts some kind of a framework, whether you like the framework or not, debate it, but it puts some sort of cohesion into all kinds of things that are happening so that you can at least slot them somehow and talk about them, and they may be in the right, wrong slots or whatever, but versus sort of a feeling that there's all this flying shrapnel. So it gives some cohesion to it. It situates it in a theory, and I'm not going to be so bold as to call it a new normative theory, but when I was trying to figure it out, I was greatly influenced by the normative theories of journalism. I used to walk around with that chart for a long time and say, this isn't right, what's wrong, what's wrong? So that's one sort of set of things. And I'm not a scholar and was blessed to work with some good scholars. But more importantly for me is that it conveyed to young people a sense of possibility and invention, because you can see enrollments in journalism, schools declining, you know, all of it, all of it, all of it. It's a job under siege really. And so that it would offer, it would spark sort of a, I can do this. I I can do this. Because I've had so many people who never imagined themselves, they came from families that didn't even read newspapers, say, this happened, and I realized I could make the world better through journalism. So to kind of spark, spark that. And we worked really hard to land the book, Idea that sort of could not push it too far, to land it at the point where it could be do- talked about, where it wasn't like sort of an offensive treatise taking on the whole systems.
0: Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, it is. Um, it is a it is a fine line to walk for sure, and I, I I agree. I think you you did a great job sort of walking that and 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 providing you know a, a sensible or kind of reasonable path forward and you know building on on what's already been done and all of those things. So last last question for you here, Paula. What what else are you are you working on? How are you continuing to think about these ideas or or put it into practice or or you know continue advancing this citizen centered journalism? I, I was going to say move, but I know we talked about the kind of problems with that. But, you know, how are how are you continuing to move these ideas forward?
1: Yeah, I guess I'm not retiring yet. I I, I think one is like supporting people who are kind of radiating them into the system. And I'll go back to Poynter and And I was really shocked. That the president of Pointer, Neil Brown, he did not do it as a favor. The the I thought that the forward or whatever he wrote, preface, forward, whatever, was inspiring. About so, how can it also get into the professional field? So we might still do a knockoff on like a smaller version that could go to the professional field versus the educators. Although I will say, writing a textbook, which would have never occurred to me in a million years was a wonderful way to focus. It was a wonderful way to think clearly and a wonderful way to think about audience. And then I had three students from Medill call me to do an interview for a class project, they're teaching it, and and the book landed exactly, they asked great questions per usual on a Medill grad, of course, but they were very encouraged, inspired, which was great. So anyway, back to the what I'm doing. So one is just to try to like um, keep that stall going. I'm working with so a guy named John McKnight, who's the father of asset-based development and a long, 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 long time friend of mine, community organizer. He trained Obama in community organizing. John's 90. He and I are working on something to write together, which would cause the community organizing people when they discovered, let's talk to community organizers and now... I don't want to be disrespectful, but they're writing toolkits and tactics. And it's like, oh, my goodness, is that what journalists can do? John and I are going to try to sort of look at some of the undergirding ideas, what more about, you know, belonging, efficacy. Mm -hmm. I think we'll be writing about efficacy and the role that news should play in efficacy. So that's, you know, that's a thing. Um, And I have another I'm trying constantly trying to think through this trust conversation because it's it's off kilter and I can't figure why it's off kilter. I mean, too frequently it's for me news organizations or whatever wanting to be in the center of the network and say we need them to trust us. Well, we need them to trust each other. We might need them to trust institutions. So it's a much bigger question than what are the tactics that we use so that they trust us. But again, I don't really kind of know what I'm saying other than I find this very, you know, flummoxing and needs to be cracked open somehow.
0: Great. Well, we will we'll put a link to your website in the notes so people can keep up with all of these projects that you're working on. Was there anything else you wanted to to add, Paula, or anything that we haven't touched on?
1: No, just that I really very much appreciate um, being able to talk about this with you. And you've been a delight to talk with.
0: All right. Great. Well, once again, the book is News for Us, Citizen Center Journalism, which is available now from Cognella Academic Publishing. Paula, thank you so much for your time today. Great. Thanks, Jenna.